You excited about that? Yes, no, some mixed, mixed reviews. Okay. But it's important when you go to school to do your very best and, and to uh, take advantage of that opportunity God's given you to learn and to, and to grow. I think is Kate Marie has the happy club. Kate Marie Womack has the happy club bag. Let's see what she brought here this morning. Kate Marie, what is this? It's a story reader, Scooby-Doo, we're in luck, <laughs> miniature golf mystery, read along, Scooby and the gang and their mysterious adventure. Would y'all like to read the whole book? No? Okay. Thank you. Have a seat. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Story reader, read a Scooby-Doo story. And it looks like what you do is... You can put different books in there, and it'll read that book to you, and you can follow up. You can follow along, and you'll know when to turn the page, and you can learn how to read like that. Boys and girls, you know what this, this kind of reminds me of? Do you know... Years and years ago, when children started learning how to read, do you know why people started teaching children how to read? Do you know why? So they could read the Bible. That's exactly right. Some of the very first, can y'all watch over here, some of the very first books about reading were teaching children how to read the Bible. So I see some of you have your Bibles with you, and I know when you... When you uh, become a first grader, Miss Sabina's going to present Bibles to you. Is that coming up soon, Miss? Next Sunday, Miss Sabina's going to be presenting all upcoming first graders with their own Bible. It has their name on them, and it's an opportunity for you to take that Bible and read about God's important message and His love for you. So, Kate Marie, this is a great way to learn how to read because it reads along with you and you can follow the words But the most important reason, boys and girls, to learn how to read from the very beginning was so you can learn how to read God's Word, the Bible, and apply it and hide it in your heart and keep it forever and ever. Take my word for it. Um, You'll be glad you did. And there'll be so many times when, when you're scared or afraid or unsure or upset or sad and you'll have God's Word in your heart. And it will lift you up and encourage you and give you important guidance. So let's, let's uh, thank God right now for the opportunity this school year to learn how to read and for the most important book we can read, his Bible. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for the Bible and for the opportunity we have to learn how to read. Help us read. Good things like your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Kate Marie, read a Scooby Doo story. I'm going to give that back to you. I'm so glad you're learning how to read because reading God's word is going to be so important to you one day. Miss Sabine, it's going to be a boy's turn, isn't it? Brooks, Brooks will you take, where's the bag? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> what did we do with it? Oh, here it is. <laughs> Brooks, will you take that? <laughs> you felt it, but you didn't know where it was. You were sitting on it. Okay. Boys and girls, you can take the happy, uh, you can go to children's worship, and Brooks is going to take the happy club back. We'll see y'all again soon. Sometimes I wonder what he 
strength is perfect in our imperfections. Horatio Spafford learned that lesson in post-Civil War Chicago. He was a successful businessman, had quite a business, and his family decided to take a vacation to Europe. As he was preparing to board the boat, the boat was the Ville de Havre. He received a message that he had to come back to Chicago for business and sent his wife and children on ahead, his four daughters. During the trip, there was a terrible accident, and he thought that he had lost his wife and daughters, but he received a cable when his wife was in England that said, I alone survived. He took the next ship over, and as he approached the place where the Ville de was sunk, the captain told him, and he went out to the deck of the ship there, looked over the rolling waves. And he wrote these words, When sorrows like sea billows o'er me roll. And he discovered in that moment how perfect God's strength is. Will you stand as we sing, It is well with my soul. When peace 
Father, we have a tendency to ignore all of the many things that thou dost give to us freely, and all we have to do is learn to use them. And we'd like to provide you for the natural system that provides us food, health, transportation, clothing, rain, or no rain. Both of these are by your choice. We now dedicate this offering to carry out our spiritual life to win the loss to you, a meeting place for worship and a spiritual education for our youth. Again, we thank you for all of what you have provided. Amen.
Thank you, choir. We are traveling through the Bible. Last week, the book of Joshua. Um, Prior to that, Moses, who led the children of Israel out of captivity in Egypt, could not carry the children of Israel into the promised land. But Joshua could. And Joshua led them in, and they occupied the promised land. And the book of Joshua primarily is the story of that occupation. And then Joshua's warnings. Do not let the foreign gods infiltrate into our faith, into the one true God. Do not marry foreign women. Do not do, not do anything that will um, bring other faiths or other beliefs or distortions or heresies into the worship of the one true God. And Joshua concluded, as we looked last Sunday, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua took that stand and the closing chapter of Joshua, he passes away. It's about 400 years before the first king of Israel, which is King Saul. And in that 400 year interim between the passing of Joshua and the beginning of the kings, is the period of the Judges. And that's where we are this morning. In the book of Judges, there are 12 Judges. Some of them we've probably never heard of before. A few of them have familiar names. We're going to look at the most famous Judge today. And I'm going to read from Judges chapter 13, verses 2 through 5. And then the concluding of the historian, chapter 16, verses 15 through 22. In Judges 13, verse 2, there was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, so he was of the tribe of Dan, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore beware and drink no wine or strong drink, eat nothing unclean, for lo, You shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from birth. And I'll explain in a minute what a Nazarite is. He shall begin to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So this young man has a specific purpose for which he is born. Now skip over to the end of the story. Verse 16, you can figure out who it is. Because a woman named Delilah enters the scene. Verse 15 of chapter 16, she said to him, she's trying to find out the secret of his strength. How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times. You have not told me wherein your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. In other words, she nagged him to death. He told her all his mind and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I be shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his mind, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up at once, for he has told me all his mind. The lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought her money in their hands. She made him sleep upon her knees. She called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. And he did not know the Lord had left him. The Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza, and bound him with bronze fetters. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. What does this tragic story about Samson have to teach us this morning? Simply this. We have been blessed with tremendous gifts and resources and opportunities. How will we choose to use them for the Lord? Shall we bow? 
God, we look at uh, a tragic figure like Samson, who had literally had the world at his fingertips, had every opportunity to do great things for you among the children of Israel, and yet chose instead to use his resources for selfish pursuits and squandered those opportunities. And in the end, ended up killing himself so that your purpose might be fulfilled. Father, teach us from Samson what not to do and how to go about things differently to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The sermon is entitled, Here Comes the Judge. And it's not just about the judges during this time period, but who is the ultimate judge? God. And he's going to set things right in the end. Well, as I mentioned, there are 12 judges. It's about a 400-year period from the closing of Joshua to the beginning of the first king, King Saul of Israel. During these 400 years, the people were without a king. But every so often, God would raise up somebody in a tribe, and it would would be clear that the hand of the Lord was upon them. And they might have great leadership, they might have great strength, they might have uh, great charisma. There'd be something special about them that the people would recognize that this is the person whom God's hand has been laid upon to lead us and provide for us and care for us. Most of the judges you've probably never heard of, like Othniel and Ehud and Shamgar. But there's some judges too that you've heard of. The first one was Gideon. You've heard his name. Uh, There was even a female judge. Do you know who that was? Deborah, a female judge named Deborah. And then the one we want to look at today, who's, who's probably the most famous, his name was Samson. Now, to to speak of the word judge, you might assume that they had some kind of judicial decision-making responsibility, but they did not. They were not primarily judicial in their responsibilities. They were primarily military. And they would lead the children of Israel, whatever opposing force would try to come in upon them in the promised land, whoever would try to dominate them, Whenever someone would try to attract one of the 12 tribes, they would band together under one of these judges who would go out and lead them to battle and to victory. Well, over these 400 years, Israel began looking at the nations around them and all the other nations had a king. And so Israel said, we want to have a king. We want to have a king and be like the other nations. And God kept saying, am I not more to you than a king? Look how I've taken care of you. Look how I provided you. I've raised you up judges who will protect you and lead you to victory. And you look to me as your king. But that would not satisfy Israel. They kept clamoring for a king. And eventually God said, okay, have it your way. And he gave them a king. The first king was King Saul. And that was the beginning of the end. Well, one of the 12 judges, as I mentioned, was Samson. He was a powerful man, a child of promise. God's hand was clearly upon him from his birth. And yet at the end of the life, here is Samson blinded, his eyes gouged out, pushing a grinding wheel, threshing the wheat for the Philistines. How did Samson come from such great beginnings to such terrible Endings. It's the story of Samson we're going to look at this morning and try to learn from it. The first thing I want you to see in your worship bulletin is how auspicious a beginning Samson had. It was a wonderful beginning. Manoah and his wife were childless, we read at the beginning of chapter 13 of Judges. And an angel comes to Manoah's wife and says, you're going to bear a son and he's going to have the hand of the Lord upon him and he is going to be a child of the Lord, a child of promise. In verse 5, he is going to begin the deliverance of the children of Israel from the Philistines because it says that they had been under domination in verse 1 
of the Philistines for 40 years. And God's not going to let his people be under domination by anyone because he's in a covenant relationship with them. He's going to take care of them and provide them. So he raises up a son to a childless couple named Manoah and his wife. And this boy, the angel of the Lord instructs, is to be set apart from birth. He is to be a Nazarite. Now, what does that mean? A Nazarite is a special group of people among the Israelites who have taken unique vows to set them apart from everyone else. And there were three requirements for being a Nazarite. You don't cut your hair. You don't taste strong drink, alcohol. And you have no contact with dead bodies. Those are the three requirements for a Nazarite. Don't cut your hair, no alcohol, no contact with dead, with dead bodies or anything dead. Now, there are other Nazarites in the Bible. Um, in the Old Testament, there's a Nazarite. Do you know his name? By the name of Samuel. Do you remember how his mother set him apart for the Lord from the very beginning of his birth? There's also a Nazarite in the New Testament. Do you remember who he is? John the Baptist, set apart from birth. And that's why he looked so strange in the wilderness. Long hair. No contact with dead things. No strong drink. He wore uh, a hairy mantle and ate locust and wild honey. You could look at John the Baptist and tell he was different. Well, Manoah and his wife were careful to raise Samson according to the admonition of the Lord. They told him all that had been commanded them and how important it was as he grew. Don't cut your hair. No strong drink. Don't come into contact with anything dead. And as Samson grew, his legendary feats of strength spread throughout the land. He could do anything. It reminds me of the Superman cartoon where Superman as a baby is holding up a grand piano by one of his legs. Do you remember that? And playing with the grand piano. Samson, if there were grand pianos in the promised land, Samson could have done that too. So he was like Superman among the tribe of Dan and his fame spread throughout all of the children of Israel. He was legendary. His name meant Sun Man. He was a child of promise. It was clear the Spirit of the Lord was upon him to do great things. But Samson didn't listen to God. He didn't stay close to God. As is so often the case... Samson fails to live up to the promise. And, and you know, the higher the expectations, my goodness, the, the greater the failure when they come. Instead of using his gifts and his strength to serve the Lord, over and over again, Samson uses his strength for his own gain and his own purposes. For some reason, Samson was... He was taken aback by the women of the Philistines. Uh, his father said, isn't there, a, isn't there a woman among your own house of Israel whom you can marry? And Samson wasn't interested in any of the Israelite women. He was interested in the women of the Philistines. And he kept getting in trouble for doing so. There was one instance where he fell in love with a daughter of Timnah and uh, went to marry her and, and, and on his wedding night... He changed his mind, went back home. He had a, a riddle that kind of got mixed up in there. It's a crazy riddle. Chapter 14. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Do you know what the answer to that riddle is? It happened a few verses earlier to Samson. It was a honeycomb that began to grow in the carcass of a lion that Samson had killed. So Samson killed this lion, bees built a honeycomb, Samson ate some honey, took some home to his parents, and then to the inhabitants of his future wife's in-laws, he gave them this riddle. And they couldn't solve it. And so his future wife said, tell me the riddle, and Samson told her, and she told her kinsmen, and they told Samson the answer to the riddle, and what do you think he did? He got mad. And uh, he, he, he came through, he gave them what he bet he would give them if, if he lost the bet. But then he also took 300 foxes 
and tied their tails together and lit a torch between each tail and set the foxes loose into the grain fields of the Philistines. And you can imagine what happened. The Philistines got mad. They came after him. Uh, His kinspeople turned him over, but he broke free and took a jawbone of an ass and killed a thousand more Philistines. Then he fell in love with another Philistine woman and the Philistines had him surrounded and, and he just picked up the gates and the posts and carried them off to a far hill and killed some more Philistines. And then comes Delilah. Delilah. She's a spy for the Philistines. And three times, actually four times, her job was to find out the secret of Samson's strength. And he tells her, the first time in verse 7 of chapter 16, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings which have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Samson falls asleep. Lo and behold, the next morning he is bound with seven fresh bowstrings. Now, how do you think that happened? He broke the bowstrings as a string of tow snaps when it touches the fire, just like it, it just burned up. It was... In, it was uh, just caught on fire and destroyed, and he, he was set free. He told Delilah a second time, If they bind me with new ropes, verse 11, that have not been used, I shall become weak and be like any other man. Delilah tells the Philistines they bind him with new ropes. Samson wakes up the next morning and snaps them off like they're thread. Third time, Delilah says, You're mocking me, Samson. Why won't you tell me the secret of your strength? And he says, If you weave seven locks of my head with the web and make it tight with a pen, then I shall become weak. So while he slept, Delilah does that. He wakes up, he pulls away the pen, the loom, and the web, and breaks free once again. So three times he tells Delilah lies about what the secret of his strength is. Three times the Philistines come upon him, he breaks free, and he escapes. Now, I don't know about you, but after three times... I'd start getting suspicious of Delilah. And one of two things is, is either happening here. Either Samson has a lot, of, a lot of brawn and no brains. Or he is so strong, he thinks he's invincible. He thinks nothing can touch him or hurt him. So a fourth time, Delilah comes after him and says, you have mocked me, you've not told me the secret of your strength, and he breaks down and says, a razor has never come to my head. I'm a Nazarite. If my head is shaved, my strength will leave me. I shall become weak. So he falls asleep. Delilah has a man come and shave his head. He wakes up. The Philistines are upon him. He cannot break free this time. He is bound, his eyes are gouged, and he is tied to a millstone, grinding the wheat for the Philistines. And the saddest verse in this whole passage to me comes in verse 20 of chapter 16, where he is, his hair has been shaved, the Philistines are upon you, he awakes and says, I will go out at other times and shake myself free, and he did not know that the Lord had left him. He did not know that the Lord had left him because he had lived most of his life without the Lord in the first place. He didn't know what it was like to have the presence of the Lord with him. He had just always assumed. He had always taken it for granted. He had always felt like it was just his for the taking. He had neglected the Lord for so long he couldn't tell the difference. And that's sad to me. Only two times I think Samson prays. Right after he kills a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of an ass, he's thirsty. And he says in chapter 15, he prayed to God to give him water and God did that. Verse 19 of chapter 15, God split open the hollow place, the hollow place that is Lehi, and there came water from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned and he revived. The second time Samson prayed is at the end. And we'll get to that in a minute. 
You know, it's easy to judge Samson here pretty harshly, but maybe we shouldn't. We don't have phenomenal strength as he did, but we have been blessed in other ways, just as real, even more important. We have plenty of food and clothing and houses, roofs over our head. We have a free country and we have a free church in which to worship. We have the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ that he has entrusted to us. And it would be so easy like Samson to sit back and say, we have all these things because we are inherently better than everyone else and we deserve them. But the truth is that everything God has entrusted to us, he has a purpose for. We have a responsibility for every privilege that has been given us. We have a responsibility to tell the world the good news about Jesus Christ. You know, it occurs to me that the indictment against the Sadducees and Pharisees was not for legalism. But Jesus condemned the Pharisees primarily because they held the keys to the kingdom and didn't use them. What does that mean? That means they knew the way to heaven. But not only did they not use those keys, they refused to share the keys with anyone else. And so the doorway to heaven remained locked because the Pharisees kept guard and kept telling the people, you have to do this and this and this and this in order to experience salvation. And Jesus said, no, believe in me and you shall be saved. Have faith in me and you shall be saved. Those are, those are the, the keys to the kingdom that he has entrusted to us. And so before we judge Samson, how well are we minding the keys and unlocking the door, not only for ourselves, but for a lost community and a lost world that needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ? Well, sadly, we've got to get to the final act here in chapter 16. Because God's will is going to be accomplished either with Samson or without it. In the end, Samson is brought before an audience of about 3,000 Philistines who have gathered in a temple for a celebration And they say, let's bring Samson in so we can mock him and make fun of him. He has tormented us for so long. Let's have some fun with Samson. And so a little boy leads Samson into the temple. And he's standing there and Samson leans over and says to the lad, tell me where the pillars are so I might lean on them. And the boy puts one hand on one pillar and the other hand on the other pillar. And Samson prays his second and final prayer. O Lord God, remember me and strengthen me this once, that I may be avenged upon the Philistines for one of my two eyes. Verse 29, Samson grasped the two middle pillars upon which the house rested and leaned his weight upon them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed with all his might, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people that were in it. So the dead whom he slew at his death were more than those whom he had slain during his life. Do you remember what Samson's purpose in life was? God gave him to Manoah and his wife so he could begin the liberation of the children of Israel from the Philistines. And what Samson had failed to do during his life He finally accomplished in death. He slew more at his death than he had slain during his life. He had wasted his life and his talents and his gifts, but in the end, God's will was still performed. And so it is with us. God's will is going to be accomplished. Believe me, you and I are not going to prevent that. But he will do it with us. Or 
He'll do it in spite of us. Which is it going to be? There is a perfect example of someone who is the polar opposite of Samson, born about a thousand years later, another child of promise, diametrically opposed to Samson, dedicated to God by his parents. He too had great potential. But unlike Samson, this baby did not use his power for personal gain. He used it for the salvation of the entire world. He gave his life on a cross. This Jesus whom God exalted, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It reminds me of one of the sayings Jesus said. Samson, he who was exalted will be humbled. Jesus, he who was humbled will be exalted. Samson and Jesus both fulfill God's purpose for their lives, but entirely different ways. Jesus did it by being obedient to the Father and by responding to Him. And just as one point of difference, you know it says that God left, the Spirit of the Lord left Samson and he didn't even know it. The good news for us since the coming of Jesus is that He won't do that again. God won't leave us as He left Samson because Jesus ushered in a new age. And he said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. So, like that saying goes, if you don't feel close to God, what? Guess who moved? It's not God. He's still there. And he's still working in you and wanting to work through you and wanting to accomplish his purpose with you. You have a choice. God, I'm available. Use me. These resources, these opportunities you've entrusted to me are not for my own edification and well-being, but it's so I can be a channel of blessing to others. Use me, God, to accomplish that. And if you give yourself to Him, God will work through you and bring that about. If you do not, God will bypass you. And He will accomplish His purpose through someone else. In spite of you. Two choices. Samson and Jesus. I choose to follow Jesus. Join me. Shall we pray? Father, as we gather here to worship, we see the mistakes of the mighty Samson who, like Superman in many ways, could do basically anything with brute physical strength and yet didn't have the spiritual moorings, the foundation that helped him remember and realize the source of that strength and its purpose and what you had hoped to accomplish with him. We know in the end, by destroying the temple, Samson finally accomplished what you wanted to through him, but it took his life to do so. And we see from that that your purpose will not be thwarted. But we can choose to be your partner, your co-laborer, to do the things you want to do. Father, we want to follow Jesus. And his example of humbling himself and laying his life down in service to others, not counting himself greater than anyone else or someone to be served, but instead to be the one serving, to give his life as a ransom for many. Father, we have this day, this hour, We don't have the next hour or even tomorrow. But right here, right now, we can choose 
whom we will follow. Help us follow Jesus, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Jesus wants to be your Lord, your Savior, and your Shepherd. And if you invite Him into your life, He will lead you like a shepherd leads his sheep. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you don't have Him in your heart, let today be that time of decision. If you need to rededicate your life, if you need to join this church, I'll be here to receive you standing at the front. You come forward and share with me your decision. And I assure you, we will rejoice with you. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 61, Savior, like a shepherd lead us. I'll be at the front. Please come.